Surfing Next Global Webinar number three. And today we are going to be having the great innovation debate. Uh, we're gonna have three expert panelists talk about which innovation school will reign supreme. Um, it's guaranteed to, be, guaranteed to be a good piece of edutainment. And ahead of time, uh, we wouldn't mind if you would ask our preamble question here. Um, you know, of the three approaches we're talking about today, which one have you had the most experience with? We'll be interested in the results. I have looked across the web to find out somebody who has done this exercise of which school is most popular and it doesn't exist. So um, my hope is uh, we uh, learned something new today. So we've got about four minutes before we're gonna start. And uh, so settle in, grab a coffee, and uh, we'll come back to you in about two more minutes uh, just to get ready. And we've got a whole bunch of people from California that are on our panelists. Uh, I do want to mention the Raptors are doing quite well. We'll be meeting you in the finals. Uh, the Warriors look like uh, they're headed toward uh, the final dance, but uh, had to get my plug in for the Raptors. coming up to about two minutes uh, before our webinar starts. Um, and in terms of format today, we'll probably go for about 40 minutes as part of the webinar. And we'd like to leave a lot of time for questions afterwards. So um, all of our panelists have kindly agreed to stay with us and um, ask whatever comes up. And so we'll, uh, we'll be interested to hear your thoughts. So two more minutes and please do uh, answer a poll question ahead of time. We'll certainly be interested in what your experience is um, in the real world. So we're starting to get our first few uh, participants coming in. Obviously, people are very time efficient. Um, we're going to be starting in about a couple minutes. I'm always interested in the range of different lighting in people's backgrounds here. We've got many different Pantone shades of brightness uh, today. So um, 
We'll get started in about 30 seconds. And this is part of a, uh, a number of different webinars we're doing. We've done two already. We'll be doing two over June and July. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that toward the end of our webinar today too. All right, I think we're gonna get started now. Um, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I, uh, this is probably as close to the UFC uh, meeting any kind of innovation school. Uh, we're gonna have three different combatants duke it out in the ring today in terms of which innovation school reigns supreme. Um, certainly feel free to ask any questions as we go through this. Um, and we should go for about 40 minutes and then have a Q and A. So, so welcome everybody. Um, and if you're catching this um, kind of taped somewhere, please do still use the hashtag FutureProofingNext and uh, we'll ask questions even post this debate. Um, and just, I need to uh, take this poll off. Somehow the poll is still stuck on the top of my screen here. One second, everybody. Unless Joanne, my trusted techie help, can uh, help me take the poll off because it's not advancing my slides. And we have that. All right. There we go. All right. Um, uh, we did have this advanced polls question. We'll, uh, we'll answer it uh, shortly in terms of what you online today said. But please do. Uh, I think we still have an opportunity to go through it. Um, this is what we'll be talking about today. Three very popular, interesting schools and somewhat distinct, although I think most of our panelists would say there is some crossover between the three. Um, each one of our panelists is going to take a side and they're going to go through seven or eight questions with our trusty debate steward, uh, Andrew Kitt. And then this is what Future Proofing Next is all about. Seeing, learning, deciding, committing. And so, I don't know if people remember Rock'em Sock'em Robots, but uh, I kind of grew up on these things. They unfortunately only lasted like a week as a child, but uh, our panelists, uh, there is a caveat here. Our panelists have graciously decided to uh, take a agile or lean or design thinking school. I think most of them would say, uh, it depends on certain situations, but I think they're probably taking maybe a more extreme position than most just to make sure that we tease out the differences and some of the different elements of school. So you, that are listening um, can actually learn something. So um, myself and Andrew Cates, we've just recently launched a new venture called Future Proofing Next. And part of this webinar series is part of our mandate, which is helping corporations, helping uh, different managers and teams get a better, more insightful understanding of how innovation works, how it works in the wild, and hopefully how you can credibly deliver it and uh, bring innovation that you can take to the bank. I Hi, Andrea, if you want to unmute yourself. Hey, nice to, nice to be here. And I'm excited that we're going to have this uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots moment. I think uh, it's time to bring them back. I know. That could be for anybody under 30, just dated us completely. But uh, <laughs> um, we're all about community here as well. I know Joanne is manning the NASA dashboard that is Zoom today, um, hopefully um, uh, looking at questions and poll results and, and of the like. We've just set up our Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram pages. It's interesting the reaction we're getting from people too, because they think when you talk about future proofing, it is a lightning rod for a number of different things. We've intentionally steered clear of using the word innovation for a number of different reasons. This webinar will be posted on YouTube um, afterwards. So certainly go to our channel, Future Proofing Next. 
uh, you can get in touch with us at hello at, and we do have a research study and a network that we're building, which we'll talk about later. Here are our panelists, Mark Randall. You have uh, decided to uh, end up in the design thinking uh, part of our ring. Uh, hopefully you will do battle well today. Um, I will wish all of you well. I have no bias or horse in this race, so I'm equally Switzerland on this one. Um, Mark's from uh, Kickbox, but he's also had a long and storied history at Adobe, and I know Andrew's gonna present him more formally later. Emily from JLL, you're gonna be representing the Lean School today, so taking kind of the middle box here. So if, if position on our slide is anything, you've probably got an advantage, but uh, once again, no bias involved. And Sam McAfee, you are representing Agile today, and uh, given your long history and pedigree of doing Agile. Uh, I think you may be uh, very religious about your Agile position, but we'll see. Um, so just setting the stage, we've had, we asked uh, you a number of questions ahead of time and uh, we got some interesting results. Two of the ones I wanted to highlight ahead of time, um, people said, you know what, Agile, Lean, Design, are you comparing the right things? Is this apples and oranges? Uh, is this a, are these processes or these methods? Is it a mindset? And in part the right, uh, I think uh, they're not, exactly the same apples, but I think um, for the purposes of today's debate and the fact that when you talk innovation and processes and methods involved, these tend to be the three new schools that come up. Um, and so the other thing that was mentioned was, is uh, Next future-proofed already, which is an interesting one. I think um, it's probably that there's some uh, thought about our name in terms of, um, you know, is that a really good name to be talking about um, kind of innovation in the future. And, and we humbly, myself and Andrea, believe that future-proofing represents a very clear, simple, bold attempt to get to the future um, using kind of rational guidelines. We're probably not prescriptive about much, but certainly using our experience in rational guidelines and tools and process. So we do think there is a future-proofing, I hate to call it methodology here, but certainly some some age-old wisdom. So I think um, maybe uh, these will come out in our debates today. We will have a Q&A at the end and some reflections uh, and summary. As I said, please provide questions uh, for us or any kind of um, clarity in our Zoom chat window. Or if you're seeing this taped, please use a future proofing next to the hashtag. And the results. I don't know if we can post up the results here, Joanne. Um, we did ask the question and I know People were late getting in. I'm not too sure what kind of quorum we have on those, but I'll probably throw it over to Andrew in a minute in terms of if we don't have results, what, uh, what you suspect would be the most popular school. Well, I'll actually jump in because I saw a little bit of the poll as it was uh, taking place. And interestingly, design thinking, a lot of people are doing, and there was a pretty even split between Lean and Agile when I was looking at the results. So I think it'll be really well represented today in terms of people with backgrounds in agile, backgrounds in lean, and backgrounds in design thinking. And as you said, Sean, one of the things that's really important, and I think that our contenders today will also uh, explain that and, and underscore it is there are different parts of the innovation equation that each one of them will, will address. And a lot of it is around what's the point of departure and what's the end intended result. So I, I, I saw a quick 50-50 split at first for Agile and Lean, uh, but there was also a lot of people who have experience in design thinking and, and, and uh, I think that's gonna probably mirror what you've seen in terms of the stats that we've been gathering. 
And certainly based on my random sample of people on Twitter, which is never a good substantive way to go about things, um, people tend to want to put at least two of these words in their bio. So um, they tend not to be completely mindset wise loyal to something. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and I know, I think people are getting in late here. So you've got an even split agile lean, but we'll, uh, we'll attempt to pull it afterward. I didn't want to steal any thunder from our panelists today, but I did want to um, provide at least a definition of each one of these, because I think some people might be entering this discussion going, I love innovation. I don't know too much about either one of these schools. And so uh, this, uh, and there was no bias here. This was the first thing that came up on Google in terms of what a definition for agile innovation, lean innovation and design thinking. So with agile, you're talking iteration and incrementalism and, having it be something very flexible and interactive and getting things done. Sam, hopefully you'll either um, uh, agree to that or uh, redefine it differently later. With lean, it was obviously inherent in the name was around um, kind of not being wasteful and hopefully, um, you know, doing something that creates value and potentially either a new business model for a startup or a new different innovation venture for a company. Emily, you'll be either redefining that or saying yes to that one. And design thinking was a methodology to solve problems and hopefully getting to a preferred future. Mark, you've got the, uh, the anchorman on that one. So the one reason why we wanted to do this topic is uh, myself and Andrea have seen time and time again where you've got really smart people and passionate people and maybe even the right group of people um, getting together for whether it's a brainstorm or some kind of offsite. And halfway through, I think we have always had this thinking feeling, this is not going to go anywhere. Uh, and one of the reasons is there's just no process involved in terms of getting to next. Certainly uh, the stats bared out in terms of one of the biggest issues of doing innovation well is finding, getting and identifying a process everybody agrees to and actually doing it. So for the 93% of people that are out there that don't have that process in place, this is maybe a webinar that might be interesting for you today. We actually are asking, and there is a caveat here, there are many different innovation schools, and I think many are hybrids of each other. Question 33 on one of our surveys um, that we're doing asks these 14 very different popular schools. So there is an admission. We didn't do any waterfall schools today. We're doing um, kind of the three principal schools that um, make up, I guess, what I'll call the new school of innovation. And just before I hand it over to Andrea to kick off her debate, I did do some things. And it seems, Mark, from a Google standpoint, you may have an inherent advantage here. If I just look at agile innovation, lean innovation, design thinking, it's the more top, popular topic. Lean and agile kind of are neck and neck for second place. And if you look at uh, just typing into Google, agile innovation is um, much more focused on a process and some certification level. So it's actually, there is some chops in terms of being able to do it well. Lean innovation um, gets married to Six Sigma quite a bit and certainly um, you know, business canvas um, drops out of lean innovation. And I think uh, with design thinking, there's a ton of people online looking to become design thinkers. So there was a lot about being educated on it and taking courses on it, um, but certainly um, different word that was there was more of a mindset as opposed to necessarily a some type of very prescriptive you know process so um, so I'm gonna leave it to Andrea to steer our discussion from here um, you have the conch Andrea uh, good luck on the battle good luck to all so first I'll introduce everyone and you can take your mics on and go live with this we are excited I'll start from the bottom of our contenders list Sam McAfee, who is representing Agile today, uh, not only did he write the book Startup Patterns, but his work with 
small companies as well as large companies in trying to apply for today, we'll talk about the agile side of his life. He also has backgrounds in other things, which will remain nameless until the end. He's worked with PG&E and Blackstone and Anthem and, and had that incredible challenge of trying to bring this quick, agile, iterative process to smaller groups as well as large companies. So um, Sam represents that perspective. Emily Watkins is representing Lean today. And I think it's really interesting that Lean, there's, there's a lot of ways to look at Lean. Part of what we'll talk about is lean in terms of lean startup, which, um, you know, if, ag if, um, if agile was established sort of with the agile manifesto in 2001, you know, in terms of the, the background and you think about scrum and you think about Kanban in lean, we'll go to the uh, 2011 where lean startup came out and it was this amalgam of, you know, business model canvas and Tams and Sam's, you know, the total available market customer discovery, being able to pivot. And it was even made fun of a lot in the television show, Silicon Valley. <laughs> so Lean Startup has been part of the lexicon, not just Lean in terms of you know, the Lean approach, which can sometimes be a black belt at, um, and, and uh, a process, but also a mindset and a, and, a, and a movement, which I think was popularized in 2011 when the book Lean Startup came out by Eric Ries. And then we have Mark Randall, Oh, excuse me. And Emily works with um, Jones Lang LaSalle or JLL, which is a, I think, uh, is it the one of the largest real estate companies in the world? Real, 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 global real estate it. services. Yeah. Yeah. Global real estate services. One of the largest in the world, if not the largest in the world. Uh, she's currently a managing director at JLL, working on developing new real estate related products for large corporate organizations. And she's also got a background in leading innovation and strategy teams. Um, I think what's also super interesting is a couple of examples she'll share. But she also um, has driven experience in, in for large organizations in retail with a deep focus in millennial and Gen Z. So she'll bring this. She, they never heard of probably Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Uh, and she'll also bring some really interesting examples of how you, you can apply this in a large company. And then Mark Randall at the top representing design thinking today, actually uh, design thinking, if we think about the, the early popularization, if you think about books like Change by Design in 2009, but way before that, there was design thinking happening. Companies like IDEO popularized it to a certain extent. But Mark can talk in a minute about the, the background um, of where it came from, uh, where how he experienced it, and, and he was there early on in this. He's also, I, I hate to use this word retired because it doesn't seem to describe Mark, but uh, earlier he, uh, re quote, retired after 12 years at Adobe as the chief strategist and vice president of creativity. And a lot of people might know him from this box on the top, the red box. Uh, if you do the red box well, by the way, you earn a blue box. And um, the notion of kickbox, which was a way to empower or people within a large organization, uh, including Adobe's 20,000 employees, to develop their own ideas. And so the notion of uh, how that is a bit of a, perhaps a hybrid, but certainly instilled innovation within a large company is something that Mark is uh, an expert in. Uh, he also um, did, has a lot of projects he'll talk about in terms of open sourcing kick, kickbox recently. So um, uh, that ability to share kickbox around the world. And also um, he's got his own innovations, including 
um, some of the creation of new businesses within Adobe, Adobe Live, Adobe Pass, et cetera. So without more introduction, I'd like for everyone to get ready because we'll talk now about lean, agile, and design thinking. May the, may the uh, contest begin. So first, um, I'd like to ask what We'll start with Agile, and I'd like to have Sam talk a little bit about maybe the next slide, which is what, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the definitions, you know, so we've given some definitions, but, but in your pers from your perspective, um, what are some of the unique attributes for, uh, for Agile, where it came from, and what you think some important definitions are that, that build on what we've talked about so far, and why is it so damn great? Sure. Uh, so the way I think about Agile um, in this context is there's, there's sort of two parts to the answer. Um, because Agile is at once both a kind of a philosophy or mindset as much as a process or a set of processes and practices. So like initially when we think about Agile um, in, its, in its beginnings, we, you can quickly come across the Agile Manifesto if you're Googling about Agile. And the Agile Manifesto is interesting because it's a fairly simple and straightforward set of, um, of statements about what's important uh, when you're doing Agile. And so it's things like individuals and interactions over processes and tools and uh, customer collaboration over contract negotiation. So the manifesto is um, sort of famously set up to say, we, we value these things on one side more than these things on the other side, not that the things uh, on the second side are, are not important at all, but that there's a bias towards sort of human interaction in teams. Um, I think the other way to think about it, the second way is that uh, it is, it did emerge out of software development as a practice. So it started initially in sort of build, doing technical projects and building uh, digital work. And so um, while people are using Agile much more broadly than that today, it, its origins are in uh, shipping software. And so there, there are concrete practices that people do um, around building software in small increments. So that's where the sort of incremental and iterative sense of Agile. So um, it, it's popular today to kind of go directly to a specific methodology like Scrum and sort of state like Agile is daily standups and sprint planning meetings and, and all those sort of practices that we hear the labels for. But I think deeply at its core, it's about trying to build software in uh, a, a very intentional, incremental, smallest next chunk that's of value. Uh, together in a self-organized team. That's really the core definition for me. That's super helpful. So let's let's do the same with Emily in terms of lean. What are some of the components and um, from your perspective, sort of a definition? Yeah, definitely. So I would say that some of the key components that make this a little bit different from Agile Business model canvas is a big component of it, the ability to really back up and focus on the actual business models and innovation around those business models. I think um, the cost of customer acquisition, so really deeply getting into both your total addressable market as well as service market, the TAM and SAM are really critical. And the idea that you are coming up with something to test drive quickly, but with enough due diligence on the market sensing for fit 
as well as adding in the right level of economic modeling in order to actually get you to that end-to-end process. So to me, that's, that's really what resonates in terms of applying this. That's really interesting because the whole economics of, of innovation uh, is something we'll talk about later in terms of when, what people expect innovation to do and the economic expectation will be really important to talk about. So uh, Mark, you are taking on the design thinking hat today. Tell us a little bit about contextually, you know, how do you define it? What are the, some of the components that we need to know about for today's debate? So I think looking historically at where design thinking comes from is a, um, it really emerges in the 90s from designers who are trying to create often um, user interaction designs, user interfaces, and trying to think about how people are interacting with a product, and then this emerging idea of experience design, which is it's not just an interface you're interacting with, but it's an entire product experience from how you discover the product to how you engage with it. And that um, this realization that, boy, we can deep dive in with a customer and understand their environment, their context, the job that they're trying to get done uh, or, or maybe looking to hire a product to do for them. And that that sort of thinking pattern is what emerged. And I think a lot of the popularity um, that you were citing online of people looking at it really just goes to the, the value of design. Right now, everybody, you know, you, if you're going to do a tech startup, you often need, you know, engineers and designers. And those are, you know, two things that quality people are in short supply on. And so everybody's kind of sort of obsessed about, you know, design and then, you know, naturally gravitates to design thinking as a pattern. And certainly um, Adobe was deeply involved in, um, you know, we actually called our design group from the 90s experience design. Uh, so now we have a product called XD, but internally at Adobe, <laughs> Decades before there was a product called XD, there was a group called XD that had to change their name so we could have a product called XD. Um, and that was just experience design, which is we think about the entire experience end to end and, um, and starting with the customer. But at the end of the day, contrasting these three things, um, I really think that design thinking itself is figuring out who you're, and you're designing a product for, and in some sense, when in their life and cycle, this product fits. And that lean is a lot about figuring out um, what we're going to build and how people are gonna find out about it. And agile is how to build it, like an effective way to build this thing. And then there are each sort of toolboxes that you use in sequence, or I often think of them as a series of patterns. And, um, which patterns you actually use depends upon what your unique challenges are. Well, that's great because it brings us to the next slide, which is around that the, for each of these. And, and I actually think that we might start with you, Mark, to continue on the thought. So what's, for instance, lean, uh, design thinking? What's design thinking best for? And, and what does it uniquely bring? Because you've started to sort of explain that. And then I'll let maybe Emily go next and then Sam close us out on this question. Well, it's, I think it's uniquely good for building customer empathy. And um, too often, you know, I say, having lived both in the large corporate context uh, and but before that in my three startups, um, and landing in a large corporation, I was kind of stunned, even in a very customer-focused organization like Adobe, uh, which has a deep culture of being customer-focused, 
there wasn't the same, like there are lots of employees I'd run into that had no interaction with customers. And in a startup, you know, I, I took to saying like, well, in the startup tribe, you don't eat, you know, from a young age, if you don't know how to talk to customers and how to like everybody in the company, if you want to get food at the campfire, you know, you learn how to talk to customers and, uh, or you're pretty much worthless in a startup. And so, uh, but the fact that in large orgs, we actually have to teach people how to talk to customers and give them, you know, actually have people in workshops at Adobe raise their hand and go, how do I talk to a customer? And the first time somebody asked me that, it was sort of shocking to me. And I gave a, a flippant answer, which I was like, well, do you have friends? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, same way. <laughs> uh, but that's sort of, you know, it's that getting into that customer empathy. And, you know, I think a classic design, early design thinking, you know, story is sort of the Intuit story where they would go in the days of packaged software and people would buy the software, uh, you know, QuickBooks or Quicken, and they would say, can we follow you home? And watch them <laughs> open the box and actually understand. And, you know, it's these sort of realizations like some of the innovations that we were able to come up with at Adobe um, that became very successful started with sort of questions like, you know, we tend to care a lot about what's happening when a designer um, has their hand on the mouse, but what about when their hand comes off the mouse? you know, what else is happening and what are the adjacent problems um, and how do we solve those? Uh, because if you just look at it from the point of interaction, um, a lot of times you sort of miss, well, my, my problem is a context, not a specific problem. And, uh, and so it's understanding that broad customer context. And I think that's, you know, at the meta level, the, the probably the, the core value. I think that's great. So, Emily, I'll let you jump in and, and do the same for Lean. Yeah. So, I think while Lean is great for startups, especially when you focus on Lean startup, I actually think it's fantastic for large organizations because what they tend to really focus on and hone in on is an economic model that they can put their hands on. And so I think that is what is so fantastic about using lean because it gives people really something to start thinking about and it puts numbers to it really quickly. So getting that buy-in and getting in front of those P&L leaders with really something that can drive value and focused on what it can do for your organization. Um, they really want to look at what that means to scale within the organization and how they want to prioritize the individuals and the focus that they're giving to it. So to me, I think that is the most important component. And Sam, let's do the same for Agile. Sure. Um, Agile is really uniquely suited for delivering fairly solid and, uh, dare I say, bulletproof um, software systems and components uh, as, as rapidly as is safe and sustainable for the team and the organization to do. Um, so it's a, it's a quick and yet responsible way of shipping things uh, to the customer. Um, and what, what makes it so is that um, it's sort of, it's deep in the technical practices. So a lot of the sort of core and early technical aspects of Agile, particularly in its extreme programming flavor, um, were things like continuous integration um, that gradually evolved to what we now think of as continuous uh, delivery or kind of the DevOps uh, set of practices and tools. 
um, the ability to kind of automate testing infrastructure and build quality in, um, you know, overlaps nicely with the philosophies from Lean, right? It sort of derives a lot from that school, that world of sort of the original Lean manufacturing concept. Um, and so to ship something that's, that's been pretty thoroughly tested and yet is not over-engineered, it's really sort of building things just in time, uh, it's really good for that once we know what we're building. So let's go to the next slide because there is a discussion about, you know, um, you know, what did, what did we do before we had, let's, let's just say, you know, be, before, or what's the opposite? Mark and I talked about this earlier, you know, like, what did we do we had, before we had this? So did we have like no software, Sam, or what were we doing? So mm -hmm. Sam, why don't, you, why don't you continue along the storyline? Sure, I'd love to. We basically had sort of two major phases in sort of the history of software. You know, if you think about it as kind of being, you know, post-World War II up to about sort of the 80s or early 90s, um, you know, the first kind of phase was pretty ad hoc all over the place, um, learning how to make software at all. Um, and I think that that uh, set of kind of random wild, wild, wild west approaches to building systems got consolidated into what we think of now uh, quaintly as the waterfall approach, which is essentially a, a phased gate approach of building systems um, where the phases are, you know, design everything up front, like gather all the requirements up front and then sort of design the whole system and then build the whole system and then test it and deploy. And that was really mandated by, you know, folks like the Department of Defense and doing uh, contracts with software vendors and that sort of thing. I think more like in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. So like waterfall was the way that got established as, as um, at least a process from what they, the chaos they had before. Um, so it did reduce a lot of risk, um, but it just wasn't uh, effective in getting things done on time uh, and under budget um, because it turns out that software is not as predictive as a, as a phase gate approach would, would wish it to be. Um, so I'm going to jump in just in the, just in the interest sure. of time to get a little back and forth here. So Mark, um, do you want to do a sort of no but or yes and to that and, and add anything with regards to design thinking? What did we do? We, we know it's almost um, part of our lexicon now, design thinking. But what did we do before we had it? <laughs> or how long has it really been around before it was given a name? <laughs> well, I think um, actually all three of these, because I go way back, as you know, Andrea, we were talking about the Wayback Machine in the 80s when we did startups in my day. And all of the things that are successful in all of these schools, um, we were accidentally doing when things went right, but we didn't have names for them and there weren't books and there weren't people teaching them. And so you bumbled into, oh, that worked. And then you repeated that pattern when you had the right thing. And so, yes, we had, you know, before we called, the, you know, people personas and put stock photos against them. You know, we had an understanding of how to do this just by different words. And it was very sort of tribal because there was no, you know, connection and you learned from your mentors and, um, and then you propagated it between companies because people would, you know, would move around. And so um, design thinking goes way back to the earliest parts of, of when I started making products in the, in the early eighties. And it was, sometimes we did that, we just didn't call it this. Um, the Agile school 
you know, as Sam was saying, you know, the question of what do we do before? Well, we had a lot of bad software that shipped late. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the alternative is bad software that ships late. And uh, yeah, interesting. So I'll I'll jump jump into Emily. Um, What do we do before we had? Yeah. Well, I think we also had a lot of infighting within organizations as people sort of you know, jockeyed for position around whose ideas were going to get attention. And I think it was fire, aim, ready, right? Where, you know, um, I think people really tried so hard to sort of build at the, the ground level consensus before we had these models that actually put some structure and some focus as to how to make sure that we're driving value. That's great. So let's go to the next slide because there's another topic I'm really interested in. But I also want to remind us that there's a ch- if you mouse over, there's a chat window uh, at the bottom the, uh, that's called Q&A. And we are going to uh, close out formally, but we'll also be taking in these Q&As so that at the end we will answer hopefully all your questions. And, and we've had some really great questions already and uh, some in the past have been really great. So, um, th- so the... Next part of this, though, is the um, the you poll results. Here? I'm, yeah, I'm like Sean, that would be great. Election results as we speak. So this is like uh, you know some riding in like Carolina somewhere. Where uh, okay, drum roll. Okay. Um, we actually asked the the question. We said we we said of not even of the three, but having a disciplined school of either one of these methods. Uh, what was the biggest inherent advantage of having some type of discipline? Um, I don't know if I'm surprised by uh, the two that came to the surface, but accelerating product development and understanding customer insights was uh, intrinsic to having a disciplined process. So um, whether it was agile, lean, or design. So um, I'll throw it back to the panel in terms of just- That's amazing. Well, go to the next slide. I think it's interesting, Mark, that we're still trying to gather those customer insights. So uh, clearly clearly we still have work to do, uh, but they also, I think to, to the credit of all of these, there's an element of making sure that it's not just inside the four walls where decisions are made. And I think that you've, you've underscored that. So one of the things I'd love to do is, Emily, you have some amazing successes and examples. And I have learned from our webinar audience and, and community that they really love news they can use. So would you mind sharing a couple that are um, public <laughs> as far as the ways that you've used? Because I know you work in prop tech, you've done some startup within a large company. Which examples do you think would, would speak best to our group? Yeah, I, I think a couple. I think one I'll start with is maybe newer, and it is the idea of how do we, in a very large organization, find ways of going out there and really digging into what, what should we invest in, what should we focus on, what can solve real-world problems. And JLL created a fund called JLL Spark that actually was given a lot of autonomy, and I think that that was really critical uh, to get out there and really think about investment for investment's sake as opposed to getting stuck in traditional modeling of, um, you know, taking something through a deep, deep model and making decisions because it then was prioritized to impact all areas of the organization. So what that allowed is for that team to actually move so quickly to come to a place where they're doing their market sensing and their modeling very fast in order to make some bets 
and, and to move quickly and learn. And I think that that was actually incredibly exciting because it's allowed them to really move fast enough to be able to get in on some of these really interesting, you know, new, new options. And they may not have global scale and that's okay, but it helps them really focus and, and bring solutions to the broader organization. So I would say that that is, is definitely one that is really critical because as you look at PropTech right now, there are so many places that you can focus and get involved and you could, you could, you could think of each of these as little rabbit holes to get involved in before you actually can bring something to your organization that's going to drive some value. So has been one example that has been tremendously valuable and you know some others related to this new flexible economy which is something that that i'm focusing on right now as well in terms of you know how do we really think about what we can jump on to drive solutions um many years ago it was a, a focus on how do different corporate clients consider sharing excess space with each other and so you know, getting kind of out quickly with that and solving some some client customer problems has allowed uh, some of these ideas to to grow, you know, in and of themselves and really allow us to innovate around those models. That's great. So I'll, I'll ask the same question, um, maybe a, a quick answer from Mark, because you've you've got some really tangible ways that we'll call it design thinking, knowing that there's some some fringe elements as, you know, some other elements as well as part of this, but is there something where you can really point to design thinking as, as turning the, 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 um, the tide in for a project that you've experienced? Uh, yeah, usually it's at the, the front end of trying to figure out what we should do. Um, and, you know, before we use lean methodology to, to make the case that, you know, between relative things that are all good to do that we should do this one. Um, and in design thinking, I think it, you know, I'll try to, you said, you know, your audience likes practical nuggets. So, you know, my favorite question sitting down with a customer is what's the thing that's on the horizon that people like you, uh, and for you are going to screw up your world in three years or four years or whatever the time window is. And, uh, you know, me, it, and a lot of times when we sit down with customers, you do kind of a formal process of trying to interview them, but my favorite time is sort of dinner or lunch after that. And then I like to ask that question. And, um, you know, a major new business uh, arose for Adobe um, that changed the industry that came out of me asking that question to the CTO of CNN over dinner. And, and what, and, and you can, can, can you share names of uh, specific projects that you can attribute to that? Are you allowed to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Adobe pass, uh, which, you know, earned the Emmy behind me there, um, was that, you know, dinner. One By the night. way, you get extra points for the debate for earning Emmys. I'm just saying, and writing books <laughs> behind Sam. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, but, um, but I just make stuff. And so, um, it's sort of how we make, you know, how we make projects, you like discovering a new business. It was Adobe's first service business. It was not something the CEO was in favor of. And so, um, but having a motivated customer that you really partner with and the Emmy, by the way, was jointly awarded to CNN and Adobe, which says like, I think we're doing it right. Cause we're collaborating directly with customer to figure out a serious problem that's going to affect their industry. And you know, you're on the right path because I have the CTO of CNN introducing me to the CTOs of his competitors saying you should talk to Adobe because we all need the solution. And um, so, and then helping make the case to my management 
and, uh, and to the CEO of the company that we should do this. And so when you have that highly motivated customer because you understand their space and their problem. Um, and so, but it all starts with that question, what's going to mess things up? And the other great design thinking question is, you know, I like this, there's a product that I can't talk in detail about because it hasn't shipped yet, but you know, it started years ago with the question, you know, what would be perfect? And it was, um, you know, what would be the perfect Photoshop experience? Because I'm not a great artist um, with Photoshop or in any other way, but I can imagine something amazing in my head. And what would be the perfect pro product was a helmet you put on your head, you close your eyes, you imagine what you want on the screen, you open your eyes and it's on the screen. That would be the perfect Photoshop. Solves the last two feet problem from my brain now to the mouse. And, um, <laughs> So obviously we can't do that, it's not possible uh, yet. Uh, and so then the magical next question is how close can we get? Mm. I like that. So Sam, I'm gonna throw something at you just because we have a question that said, Sam, uh, <laughs> Sam, what are your thoughts on use of agile-like approach for delivery of non-software projects? We get asked this a lot, non-IT, about how they can be more agile as well. Yeah, so do you mind like jumping, jumping into like another topic for this one? No, not at all. I mean, I'll, can I quickly give an answer to the previous ones for a sec? Sure, um, please do. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I was going to give a broad one anyway, which is just that, um, you know, the software that we are using right now, uh, I just flipped in my phone through the list of jobs that Zoom has, for example, in their engineering team. And it's very clear that there's these are sort of this is an agile approach. I know a bit about their background, don't know them personally. Um, you know, we've heard of little companies like Amazon and Netflix and things like that. So like the successes of building software in an agile way, um, it's pretty well established. And and I haven't been around the as long as Mark has, but uh I've been doing engineering for twenty years and when I started that was definitely not the case. It was really hard to get companies to, to understand what I was talking about with agile. Now, when I go around and work with different companies, um, it's pretty consistent that most people are at least trying to implement software using an agile approach. And so for me, that's, that's a success, um, which actually segues nicely into the question in that the idea of working um, in, in small cross-functional groups, collaboratively doing things in iterations uh, has spread beyond the sort of IT and engineering circles. And so people are using agile uh, agile approaches to thinking about how to get stuff done for for marketing teams, for sales teams, for um, all kinds of physical product development. Um, really, if you look closely at the principles and step away from the software specific practices, uh, the principles of of doing you know small increments, uh, not over engineering things. Um, getting together regularly in cadences to share information and make sure everyone is still on the same page, those can apply to any kind of work, really. So I think it's, it's broadly applicable beyond software development for sure. And a lot of people are doing that and experimenting with it. So I think for another day, it'll be really interesting to see what's mainstreamed about each of these. You know, we hear people talking about Kanbans and scrums and all these things way outside of the world of software. And, and the same with design thinking, you know, people talk about viability, desirability, feasibility. These are things that have, that have happened. We have a question that's been asked and I'm gonna marry it to this one, which is, okay, I'm gonna add to this one, one of the questions. So what's m wildly misunderstood or we call it like innovation gone wild, like, oh my God, please don't let me walk in and see that happening. Or has it really been bastardized to the point where this is what they think it is? Um, are there some inappropriate applications, you know, like design thinking your lunch menu? I don't know, are there, 
Are there some places where it's gone wild? And if that doesn't float your boat, there's a question that is um, the, uh, around um, a failure. <laughs> so you can have a choice, I think. You know, is there an, a, a failure where you tried to use one of these approaches and it was like, what is going, what were we thinking? So I'll give it to either person. Emily, you want to jump in and, and talk either about the misunderstandings or a failure? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I know we've, I, we've had some experiences you know, together. <laughs> oh, yeah. What I, what I think is so tough about these are too many cooks in the kitchen. And I think also some misunderstandings about what level of due diligence and upfront work is enough in order to move to the next level. Because with all of these approaches, the goal is to get out in front of customers, go have conversations, go learn, go ask questions. And I think what happens so easily, especially in big organizations, is this desire to or assumption that there is a much deeper level of detail associated, especially to some of the economic modeling or the need for economic modeling too, earlier, too early in the process. And I think that can create a lot of spinning, a lot of you know, conversations that have to happen to pre-wire different groups and different leaders. Um, and I think that can be a very, very quick time suck um, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think any of these models go into a whole lot of support for that um, around really driving the appropriate level of governance around the models. Um, I, I think that's the application that comes with experience and with leveraging coaches, depending on, you know, which kind of model you're, you're leveraging. But to me, that is, that is probably the, the biggest risk and um, biggest frustration that can happen to teams within the process. So rather than going in a big circle and having everyone answer the, this question, I, I actually would like to uh, jump a little bit to a different question from Mark, if you don't mind, because there's a, a question about rules of thumb. And I, I would love for you to sum up some of the rules of thumb. You've had so much experience, as I said, you've been with design thinking and, and seen its evolution. What are some rules of thumb to make it work the best? Um, well, I think you, you know, the basic advice that you have to get out and go talk to customers. Um, the other thing that helps it to work the best. So all of these things are abstractions and we talked about this before Andrea, but I'm always deeply concerned about abstractions. Um, because, uh, in some sense, too many of the people that I work with at Adobe and at other large corporations, I've often said, you guys are just too smart to do this very well. You have to be kind of dumb. Like, it's not that hard. And <laughs> very, you know, like, it's what do you actually do? And so people always want to talk about abstractions. And I say, all right, but what's your specific problem? What are you going to do next today? And what are you going to get from that that's going to move you to the next thing? And let's not talk about abstractions. First order only. What are we going to do? What are we going to learn? And where? And how is that actionable? And so I think that's the. Um, and then we often then get instead of arguing about you know philosophical things, now we get into what are we going to do, and we can actually measure that. And too often, I think in terms of a big mistake, large organizations um, and Emily hit this. You know, you just got to give people some permission and let them run. You know, the kickbox process, just 
We let any employee do any idea they want, and the one, first thing we teach them is don't tell anyone in the company what you're gonna test directly with customers, especially your boss, and especially me as the person that runs Kickbox. Don't tell me, because I might discourage you from doing it. Instead, here's $1,000 to just go try out your value prop and, and test it and, and listen to a customer. Don't listen to me, don't listen to our CEO, because it turns out he gets all the products for free, just like everyone else in the company. So they're not real customers. And so their opinion early on doesn't matter. But as Emily you know, touched on, if you want to make the case, you know, what should we do when you want to win the argument with the CEO, bring data. Great, so Sean, let's go to the next slide because we'll, we'll have time for some quick takeaways. Um, I'll st and it can be something quick, Something we forgot to mention that you really want to put your last um, your last I thought in, um, and something that we uh, maybe should have asked, and then Sean will wrap us up, and we'll have a couple of questions that have been coming in at the end. So Sam, quick takeaways. Uh, quick takeaways. I think the biggest thing to keep in mind if you're going to try and do an agile approach is that there. There is no single agile approach. And I think the biggest thing that snags people is following it like a, a binder of rules or a set of recipe books or a process diagram that if you just follow the model, it'll all work. And the, that's not really true. You need to have an agile mindset um, and build a custom way of getting work done that is appropriate to your context. Okay, um, Mark, quick. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Quick, Mark, quick takeaway. If we, if we um, learn nothing else, what's the quick takeaway that we should have about design thinking? I, it's, um, you got to get close to a customer and listen to them. And my other quick takeaway is, you know, what I think about this is, um, at, is all free online at kickbox.org. So you can go download it um, completely free. No newsletter to sign up for, nothing. Just, I don't want to know you, but everything I think about it, if you want to know about it, just go to kickbox.org and download it. It's all free. And, and we really uh, want to give that commercial because it's a wonderful resource for everyone who's on the call today. So Emily, what's a quick takeaway? Yeah, and, and while I'm going to agree with my opponents, Mark and Sam, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with what they're saying as well. But I think, you know, the big one I would leave related to Lean is that you absolutely have to take control of the situation, control of the process. Make sure you're not over-engineering the modeling just to serve the needs of specific individuals who are asking for details. I think you've got to be really careful with that. Set the, the clear expectations up front. And I have a quick question for you that is um, just a, a quick follow-up, Emily, to, to check one off, which is this the notion, it says, you know, if you accept the argument that it's ultimately human beings, this kind of, that are the common denominator. What are a couple of human being attributes that you think are absolutely critical? Let's just use the, the one that you're describing, you know, to, to really participate in lean within a large company, especially. What, are, what do you have to be like as a human? I think you have to have a really can-do attitude. You can't be afraid of, of um, individuals kind of trying to pull you down or say this won't work because. I think you really have to have that optimistic push forward. Um, we will make it happen. You know, I, I, I love what Mark said around be a little dumb, but in a way you kind of have to. You have to say, you know, don't overanalyze. You got to move forward. Well, I hope the panelists will stay around for the end uh, when we do some Q&A. But um, Sean, why don't you do a wrap in case there's some people that need to, to leave soon. 
Uh, and I know that we're going to have poll number three now where um, we're going to find out how people, this is like those television shows like, you know, Dancing with the Stars. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see which uh, school of thought is going to, that people are planning to do more of as a result of today's webinar. So, uh, yeah, so let's have Sean wrap us up while people are taking the poll. Uh, and by the way, we should have had a thing where people can like send donate contributions into Mark or Sam or Emily. But I guess we, <laughs> we should have had a kickbox where they get a thousand bucks and you put it behind one of the. Yeah, that's right. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, next time. Okay. Next time. Okay. So um, why don't you close us out and then we'll do some more Q&A at the end. Yeah. This is kind of like the one minute uh, kind of uh, this would be the commercial, the webinar, I guess. And then um, certainly we'll get back to questions because we've had a few interesting ones. Uh, we'll let the poll run as well. So hopefully uh, do not determine this as a function of your performance as a speaker. Uh, <laughs> so nobody should be leaving this uh, webinar feeling. Oh, no, actually, we should just give a hand to all, to all of the people who are on the debate. It was really well argued. Um, we will be having some follow-up webinars, certainly. Um, the one thing I love about the, the webinar today is you've got three people that um, really do practice this stuff. And I think um, I loved... I think it was Mark who said uh, we should get rid of abstractions and almost get dumb again, um, but really try to figure out what people are doing out there in the wild. And so we're going to be covering that on June 11th. And then we don't love having six heads talk at the same time. So we're going to be talking about the six continents of innovation and doing it as a double bill on um, in July, where we talk about how innovation perhaps operates differently across different geographies. So it'll be interesting. Um, we do have a website now. So we're this, uh, in a very agile way, Sam, you'll be uh, glad to know. Like, it's just like, we got a ship, we got a ship. And so we've been doing these webinars almost as very MVP-ish, uh, but we do have a website. We will be housing this webinar on there and certainly feel free to get in touch with us at uh, hello at. Um, as I mentioned, we have a survey. Um, it's ambitious. We've got 12 people that are around the world that have come together and said, yeah, you know what? Let's try to identify the 50 questions that we always wanted answered. And so if you want to um, learn about it or do it yourself, certainly there's a page here that you can go to. And then uh, a small sweetener to the pot. We've got a number of friends and colleagues that have written books. Um, people still read, apparently. People still read books. We should have had startup patterns. That was rude, but oh well. <laughs> Sorry. No worries, they know where to find future it. Work yeah. one, we'll add that one in, but um, certainly a small sweetener to the pot by answering the surveys below. And then we do have three interesting developments over the next three months. Um, we'll obviously share the results with people that have answered it and we'll make a webinar out of it. Uh, we are coming up with the 52 leading business models of the future. So from a lean standpoint, uh, we've definitely leaned into, okay, let's paint a portrait for what are those opportunities in the future. And then as we've called it, um, internally ourselves, the not a book book, we are producing our own kind of workbook in terms of how to approach this from a corporate innovation standpoint. And then maybe if we get the results, man, uh, now granted sample size is low, but uh, design thinking is uh, definitely something people want to explore more of. So once again, please, no wagering, no, no, <laughs> You know, it was the Emmy. It was the Emmy. Emmy. I'm putting it in behind me next time. No, it's what everybody's Emmy. Really in the background, but yeah. uh, a lot well, of social proof. Nothing that I've done involved not all three of these that <laughs> I've done successfully. Many yeah. things I've done unsuccessfully yeah. have involved none of them. 
So that's, that's the moment for gloves off too. So I, there are a couple of questions that I think we'll answer and then some we can answer afterwards because we want to you know, stick to the top of the arrow. But I think one of the questions that's really interesting, um, we, we got some response to, first of all, the question of what, it, what is required and uh, the human qualities of being open and curious. And sometimes we might forget that, but that's sort of a basic. Uh, but I think it was great that somebody shared that. Um, and the notion is that a lot of people, it says the debate around these frameworks is fun for this conversation today. However, and this is super important, many of us working to drive innovation in our organization see this more of a yes and. So use of all these, not one. So what advice do you have to give to <laughs> tell the story to leadership that's already been drinking the Kool-Aid for one method? Right, so you know, easily today we can argue. So uh, I'm, I'll go to Mark and Emily, especially because you've been there and done that. Mark, you know, I think that's a really important question. Yeah, so I get people that ask me um, that are chief innovation officers or innovation managers at companies, and you know, they just want some therapy or sympathy. Uh, and I, you know, they they're saying like, my boss is all in because he saw this book or he saw a webinar or he saw you know, a TED talk. And uh, my advice is um, don't argue with your customer. Uh, and if they're all in on that, then all of these things fortunately are vague enough that you go 100% boss, we're all in on whichever of the three that you said, and then go do the right thing anyway. Um, because it's going to involve some of that. But trying to redirect them and educate them is probably just, you know, misusing the available uh, energy, let it fill your sails and, um, and use that buy-in to just go and innovation is hard enough. Like what we have to do is hard and uncertain enough. And so um, use that energy and don't argue, I guess, is, the, is my best advice. Uh, Emily, what about you? Because you've lived this and breathed this as well. That was really, really insightful. Yeah. Thank you. Emily. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, I, I, I agree. The, the other thing I would add, though, is um, giving some examples, saying, you know, saying, look, design thinking has gotten us to this point, but we have to make it real and we have to actually get it across a very large organization. And therefore, this type of principle is incredibly helpful. So I, I, I agree, make it a yes and, but um, also share some examples of how if you do get stuck into sort of one category that, you know, what can happen. So um, I, I'd, I'd say that as a yes and. So we have, uh, we'll answer any of the other questions, probably uh, if we have to collect them because we've now hit the top of the hour and we want to respect your time. But I want to thank the panelists slash debaters because you did a great job knowing that this was ambiguous in a sense because everything has a bit of bleed over, but also really important to understand, number one, the history and the context, which I think each of you did an amazing job at. I, and what I took away um, in terms of, you know, the notion of can we follow you home, things that were happening in the wild that became codified, the notion of having fire aim ready that Emily talked about and how many times we've borne witness to that within an organization and how much better all of these are for that. And I think also, Sam, the, the notion that there's so much, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of just team work that has got great value from the impact of being able to use agile approaches because 
efficiency and this whole, we forget that, you know, Six Sigma and black belts, there's that whole world. And if you can bring that toward a little bit more ambition and, and bravery in terms of shipping things and not shipping perfect, instead of zero defects, it's like a couple defects faster. Uh, I thought you made that point really well. And so I actually learned a ton both in preparing this. And I think that Mark Randall, Sam McAfee, and Emily Watkins, you were awesome as inspiring and well-educated people who have been fighting the fight. So thank you so much for being part of it. And thank you. Any, anything that you'd like to say, Sean, to close us out? Well, I, I would just echo the same thoughts. I would also say I, I just love the fact that as much as we told you to take a school of thought, you were rational and practical enough to know that it wasn't the only religion out there. Uh, the only disappointment as a Canadian, you know, I'm used to a debate being kind of like a hockey battle in the corners with elbows up. And you guys were so <laughs> nice to each other, too, that um, maybe that goes to the question somebody had about what are the attributes people in leadership or whatever leading these types of innovation should have and maybe niceness and collaboration and uh, understanding somebody else's point of view is uh, endemic to you as well. So thank you. And we invite everyone to still submit questions afterwards and use the hashtag, get on the website. And thanks to the whole community for being here today and asking great questions and being so participate, you know, and participating so fully. So thanks to everybody. Yay. Thank you, panelists. Oh, Thank by you. the way, uh, Andrea, oh, yeah. I posted a written answer to one of the questions. Oh, um, you did? Yeah, if the person goes back and looks just about the traits of innovators, there's a great study Clayton Christensen did at Harvard um, that's in the book Innovators DNA. So I just listed the five traits that their research showed across 5,000 innovators. That's great. Thank you. Perfect. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll see everyone again. Yeah. Okay, tuning off. Thank you. Signing off. Bye-bye. I know.